Support for Paradox comes from the Timothy Center, a place for adolescent and family healing. The Timothy Center is a marriage and family counseling facility in Austin, Texas, offering distance consultations for those that live outside the Austin area. If your family is struggling and you'd like to consult with Jimmy, Josh, or one of their trained professionals, visit them at timothycenter.com. About seven-ish months into the abuse, when they started to bring their friends and it became more, um, I decided I had to tell someone. So I told my babysitter, and the babysitter said to me, I'll tell your mom. And so I thought, okay, it's over. My mom's going to know, and it's going to be done. So the next day, I go to the babysitter's house, and those boys take me out again. Recording live from Austin, Texas, a conversation about marriage and family that guys won't want to turn off. Dr. Jimmy Myers and Dr. Josh Myers are a paradox. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Paradox. Uh, I'm Jimmy, sitting here along with Josh, and uh, thank you for carving out some time to be with us this week. And we are very, very excited to have Mary DeMuth with us. A lot of you guys already know who she is. She is an author. She was actually named one of the top 10 female bloggers in, was it the universe or the world? Um, Probably the universe. In the universe. (laughs) An avid speaker. She's a podcaster of renown. And she was so kind when we were first trying to get this together. Uh, She met with us and and just let us pick her brain and shared with us her wisdom on this platform. So, Mary, thank you so much for being with us. My pleasure. It's great to be with you today. For for some of you that that may not know, uh, Mary has, as we were saying a second ago, it's it's sad uh, but it is a um, it's an all too common horrific story about childhood sexual abuse. Um, it's shared by way too many people, um, but she has been able to take that and you know, just horrific wrong uh, and really use it for God's glory now to touch so many people's lives. Mary, you said that when that occurred and you were a smaller child when that happened, you said you felt dirty and violated and utterly alone. Could you expound on that a little? Yeah. So as you mentioned, I was small. I was um, in kindergarten when it happened and I would go to a babysitter's house after morning kindergarten. And in the afternoon afterwards, these two boys would come pick me up. Um, They were from the neighborhood. They were teenagers. And for whatever stupid reason, my babysitter thought that was a wise idea. So she sent me off with them. And usually when you're preyed upon um, by a sexual predator, uh, there's grooming that happens. And, you know, the predator kind of has a way about going about it. But these were like, brand new predators. So they, and they were young. And so they didn't do any of that grooming. They just took me out to the woods and did what they did. And then they, um, they threatened to kill my parents if I told Mm. anyone. So I believed them. And so the reason I felt alone is that first of all, the babysitter wasn't going to protect me. And then about seven ish months into the abuse, when they started to bring their friends and it became more, um, I decided I had to tell someone. So I told my babysitter and the babysitter said to me, I'll tell your mom. And so I thought, okay, it's over. My mom's going to know and it's going to be done. So the next day I go to the babysitter's house and those boys take me out again. And I think that the babysitter told me the truth. I think that she told my mom, but she didn't. I just didn't know that. Mm. And so that's why I felt so alone because Mm. I thought, well, if my mom knows and doesn't care to rescue me from the situation, then 
I am utterly alone and I have to somehow take care of myself, which is what I did. I just learned finally how to sleep a lot. And so that was that um, enabled me not to have to go out and see the boys. Mm. Wow. Um, you also and this in this is later in life. You came to write a letter of forgiveness to those boys. How long did that take you? And, 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 and unpack a little bit about for forgiving. Cause a lot of people think that forgiving someone like that is, oh, now we're best friends and we're going to go mm-hmm. have meals together. Uh, <laughs> what, what is it for you when you say that you came to the point of forgiving? Yeah, I think one of the damaging things we do to sexual abuse victims is we, especially in the church, we demand easy forgivism. And so we say, well, you just have to forgive them. And they're, yeah, sure, they violated you and ruined you for the rest of your life, but just quick, you know, quickly forgive. And that process of forgiveness took me years and Mm -hmm. it was layers and layers. And it was a constant choice to forgive. I wasn't like actively saying, I'm not going to forgive. I was forgiving, but then there would be some other flashback that would Mm. cause me to have to think, Oh, there's another layer I've got to forgive. Now, I don't know who these boys are. I was five and I know their last name and I've done a little bit of um, internet research to try to figure out who they were as adults. So I don't have any sort of relationship with them now, um, nor, you know, because the statute of limitations is over, nor can I press charges. So my letter of forgiveness was more for me than for mm-hmm. them, because I'm sure that they did not read it. And I shudder and worry about who they may have perpetrated mm-hmm. against after me. Oh, absolutely. But I, I moved away afterwards. So there was nothing I could have done to stop it. Plus, I was five. So <laughs> I didn't and no one was protecting me. So, it, but you know, like was, you say, was, these were these were brand new little predators. And yeah. for them to have such a, quote unquote, successful first venture. Uh, that it was sort of easy with no ramifications. Uh, the thought that they did not do this to someone else is is probably pretty small. Yeah, I'm pretty sure by yeah. the violence of what they perpetrated, I'm pretty sure they had a hunger to do it again. Yeah. Um, yeah, I like to say a lot, especially with Christians, that a lot of times we, we baptize denial and call it forgiveness. Um, yeah. but, but it, it, forgiveness is a very, very, very difficult, long process. Um, okay. One other thing that I found it just fascinating, and I'm sure that it has been so helpful to so many people that you write for and you speak to, and that is from this sexual abuse as, as a young child, your father was, had a sexual addiction that through all of that, you struggled with pornography. So you'd sort of been super sexualized at a young age and sort of struggled with pornography in your teen years. People don't understand that happening with a girl. They think that porn is, is just a guy issue. They do. And, you know, increasingly today, that's not true at all. Um, it, it might be a stereotype, but back then in the olden days before the internet, <laughs> um, it was a struggle. And I think, you know, now that I'm an adult and I'm looking back on that time, I have so much more compassion on teenage me mm-hmm. than I did at the time. I just right. thought I was creepy, you know? Um, but again, I grew up in a sexualized home. I grew up with a father that was constantly naked with naked people around all the time. And I had a home that had pornography in it. And so if none of those things had happened, I don't think I would have stopped stumbled into that, um, that discovery. And, you know, God has 
blessedly beautifully delivered me from that, but there are still scars from it. And there's still, you know, you still have flashbacks and anyone that's ever dealt with that knows that, you know, those images stay there. And so you have to be really careful, but it's not unredeemable. And I think part of getting over that was learning some self-compassion of, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, Absolutely. if anyone else had gone through what I had gone yeah. through, they would have done the same thing. But yes. still, I was just, I was a brand new Christian in my teens and I just, I thought I was the worst Christian ever and that I was going to hell. Oh yeah. Bless your heart. Um, okay. Two, two of your um, resources for people. And then I'm going to hand you off to Josh first, the book, not marked. And then you have a seminar that you just said is available on DVD called The Unmarked Marriage. Could you talk about those two things real quick? Yeah. So Not Marked is um, is a book for sexual abuse survivors, but it also has um, my husband's writing in there as well. And so at the end of every chapter, the chapters are all about how to heal from childhood sexual abuse or any sort of rape or sexual abuse. But at the very end, then he writes his perspective as a non-victim and how it, how he learned to help a victim. So if you have a passion to help sexual abuse victims or trafficked victims, it would be a good book for you to pick up to just from my husband's perspective alone. But what we found too is that people once they got married really 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 struggled in the marriage bed and in a lot of aspects of intimacy because of sexual abuse in the past. And so we've done a a seminar called the Unmarked Marriage Seminar, and we've done a couple of them around the nation, but we taped it. So it is um, available on video, uh, a physical DVD that people can have to share in a small group or just watch with their spouse in a very you know non-threatening way. And we talk very honestly and openly about how how you can work through as a couple um, one person's or both people's sexual abuse from the past. So people just don't talk about it. And so we felt like it was a needed resource. So, so many people in our practice uh, struggle with defining themselves currently as well as in the future by their past, by their negative past, instead of really learning to accept and kind of move on. Why do you believe that is so difficult for folks? I, I, it feels like your past has a megaphone and um, it I don't know why that is like today doesn't feel like there's a megaphone but the past it just when you're a child and your personality is forming so many things that happen during that time are amplified and and I believe that many adults are walking wounded as a result of what happened back then and a lot of times it's not worked through through stuffing it down or pretending or, you know, use the word denial, just denying and just, you know, sucking it up and just being okay. Um, I believe you have to work through it, but once you've worked through it, then you, you re, um, you, you reframe your story so that you then become someone who can help someone else have a new story. So that's kind of how I've worked through my own healing is there was a, so what to it? Um, I my I just rebranded my website so it's restoryme.com and it's about how God gives us a new story. So my story may have been that I was a victim but my new story and the restory that he's done for me is now I have the privilege of walking alongside other victims. And so when you reframe it you don't you can still refer to the past and I don't have like emotional breakdowns when I talk about my past anymore. Um, it's because God has brought so much healing that now I can go out and um, be a part of the facilitation of healing for others. 
Yeah, it's it's really the acceptance that it will always be a part of your past, but you can restory, you can reframe it, um, and actually use it to to in the end bless people just like like you're doing. Yeah, and it's so much more joyful and exciting when um, when you get to do that. It it gives almost a purpose to your story uh, to know that it's being used to help other people be set free or to know that they're no longer alone because so many people suffer in silence thinking I'm the only one that was porn addicted or I'm the only one that had sexual abuse in my past. I'm the only one with alcoholic parents, and that's just not true. But until we tell our stories and we go first, um, we can't help other people be brave with their stories. In your bio, you mentioned uh, spiritual abuse. Uh, it's It's been said that good men will always do good things, bad men will always do bad things, but it to, to for good men to do bad things, it takes religion. Uh, can <laughs> you kind of tell us your thoughts on spiritual abuse? Yeah, um, actually, my husband and I haven't walked through much of that, but I have walked others through it. And being kind of an empathetic person, uh, I just got really mad about this, that it was happening. And I wrote a, a blog post, just my most visited blog post. It's on my sidebar on my blog about signs of spiritual abuse. And I think there's really no place for it in the kingdom. There's no place for it in the church. But when people begin to use control and bully tactics to keep other people in line, it causes, especially when they are Christians and they're Christian leaders, it causes is a whole lot of confusion and heartache. And on the sexual abuse realm, if you were sexually abused within the context of a church or the person was a leader in the church or just a Christian, then you've got that whole extreme mess to try to pull apart. It's a giant hairdo and very hard to get over and makes many people mad at the church and justifiably so. You also in your bio discuss celebrity Christianity. Explain your thoughts on that. Hold on, wait, wait, just a second, Mary. Um, Josh, I heard from our PR people, and they said not to talk about this. Uh, it might, you know, affect us getting on different shows, so. That's fine. But, no, no. Mary, sorry, he's joking. So, so, so. <laughs> okay. I'm like, oh my gosh, whatever. He, <laughs> he has the worst dry sense of humor ever, so and I apologize. I'm so sorry. I'm so I'm not sorry. Your faces. I know. I couldn't see you cracking a smile. Whatever. Okay. I know. Like, okay, these people are here. Right. These people are strange. No, celebrity Christianity. Go for it. Okay, so I am in, um, in a way, I am in the circle of celebrity Christians because I'm a, a Christian author. I've written a lot of books and I speak. And so um, I've seen the underbelly of it all. And I've seen some of people that I know very well kind of fall into this trap of believing they're more important than they are. Um, instead of exercising more and more and more humility, the more fame they get, it, it goes the other way. And then suddenly it's all about us being served instead of us, uh, us serving others. And thankfully, when I first started my writing career, I, I got to hear Randy Alcorn speak. And he talked about that any fame that he received was just um, a bigger platform to serve more people. And I just really believe that Christians who are leaders, whether they're pastors or speakers or writers or whatever, um, uh, worship leaders, they really need to remember that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Can you talk to us about your uh, latest book, Worth Living? 
I sure can. Um, that book came about, as you can imagine, I uh, having the childhood that I did, I struggled with worth a lot and, and all the way into my adulthood. There was no magic formula that the moment I asked Jesus into my heart at 15, that suddenly I felt 100% worthy. I just really battled it. And so this book is is basically about the 10 lies that I believed about worthlessness and the 10 truths that God spoke over me or from the you know where the word of God that showed me that I have worth in his eyes and that I am worth loving and my life is worth living. And so that's basically the format of the book is the 10 lies, the 10 truths. And listeners can go to marydemuth.com and they can actually get a download of those 10 lies and 10 truths to um, print off on cards and uh, just begin to remind themselves of the truth of their worth in, in, uh, in the sight of Jesus. Now, you're also a podcaster. Um, your podcast is called Restory Show, correct? That is correct. Tell us about that. So I have been interviewing people who you may not know, um, kind of speaking of celebrity Christians, I'm just interviewing people with amazing stories and I'm having a blast. So I've done 20 episodes from season one and we'll start season two in September and I'm um, actively pursuing people who have just these crazy stories of God restoring their lives. And, and that's restore and restory. Run, do not walk. Now, you have mentioned two websites, marydemuth.com and then the restoryme.com, right? You're at it's both all of the those. Same. Okay. Okay. <laughs> they're, they're connected to one another, so you'll get there either way. Perfect. So you'll find Mary there. You can also look her at, up at Facebook. She is author Mary Demuth. Twitter is Mary Demuth, as well as her Instagram is Mary Demuth. Um, please, please, please. I mean, these were incredible words, and you'll get that on a weekly basis if you listen to her Restory podcast, um, as well as uh, go to Amazon, Barnes & Noble, any other platforms worth mentioning regarding your Worth Living book. They are available in those places. Yes. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was like, I just thought everyone ended there for a second. Yeah, they're available <laughs> everywhere. Christian bookstores, um, Amazon, any online retailer, they're everywhere. Perfect. Sorry. People <laughs> need to hear you, Mary. Um, God has given you an amazing voice. He's given you an amazing story and an ama even more amazing restory. And uh, thank you so much for being here to share that with our listeners. It's been my pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you very, very much. Have a great day. God, what a great lady. I mean, who goes through, and she didn't even mention that same kindergarten year, um, a neighbor like poisoned her. Uh, and, Was that part of her bio? Yeah. Hmm. Uh, and then she had this thing happening. And, and what's important to understand, and she touched on it, is that wasn't like a one-time event. Correct. This was ongoing for months and months and months, and feeling when I, as though nobody cared. And when I think about my precious Ruthie girl, mm, mm. Um, there are no words to express how traumatic that could be. Mm -hmm. um, but she was able to, with time and with work, put it into context that it no longer, you know, she's not just this victim. Uh, and I think what she's done, in, I love that, in her re-story, uh, is, is really reclaim her non-victimhood uh, and writing that letter to those, uh, to those boys. Um, again, that was between her and God, which 
to her point, that had nothing to do with those boys. You know, forgiveness has nothing to do with the person that offended you. You know, forgiveness is between you and God. Uh, they don't have to be involved at all. And she never used the word, but the, what came up for me during her during her story was the word empathy. Mm-hmm. She thought she was the, the most horrific Christian on the face of the earth as she was a teenager. Um, and she was really able to empathize with herself. Yes. I know that's that sounds weird because empathy is, is your ability to put yourself in somebody else's shoes and see from their perspective. But she was able to put herself fr- in the shoes of that hurt little girl yes. and, and see from her perspective and empathize with herself and forgive. Absolutely, because it's very, very important for adult victims of childhood sexual abuse to be able to what's called externalize. You know, that didn't happen to me. It happened to that young girl. There, I was powerless. There was nothing I can do uh, when I was a child, but I can do something now. I'm, I'm grown up, and I'm, and so if I'm still afraid to go into a house without the lights on because of what happened to me, that is almost still letting those boys abuse me. And so, um, you know, I, I have the power to change that now and to really stop. The, the, the biggest key uh, is, is stop assuming being a victim. Yeah. Uh, and to be able to externalize that and to be able to empathize with that little girl and then that teenager yep. uh, is critical. And being able to allow God, the Holy Spirit, uh, your husband or wife, spouse, your friends, your community is part of your restory. Mm-hmm. You are not that hurt individual in the past that was abused, that there was something wrong um, mm-hmm. about you that they picked on. Uh, you need to really connect in community and allow those around you to be able to restore you and give you purpose and worth. Yeah. Preach it, brother. Good stuff. Really, really Absolutely. good stuff. Go check us out at paradoxpodcast.com. Uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram is Doc's Podcast. You can find me, Josh, on those three platforms at Doc Josh Myers. You can hit me up on Twitter and Instagram at J Myers Fam. I love saying that. I do. And then uh, on Facebook, Dr. Jimmy Myers. Guys, restoring me. Go check it out. Thanks for joining us. Bye. Paradox is produced by Billy Lee Myers Jr. and researched by Dr. Jimmy and Dr. Josh Myers. Special thanks to Life Austin Church in Austin, Texas, and our Paradox evangelist, Julie Lyles Carr. To find out more about the Paradox and to sign up for email updates, go to our website, paradoxpodcast.com. Next time on Paradox. You know, if I meet a, a Muslim who is inclined towards violence, I want to get them as far away from Muhammad as possible. He is not a good historical example. If I meet a Christian who is inclined towards violence and, and mistreating their neighbor, I want to get them as close to Jesus as possible. So the movement of travel is the opposite direction, towards Jesus and away from Muhammad.